All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness in Philosophy podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing objectivity and fitness. James, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. What number of a show is this? Just to kind of get back to that running total. This is episode 39. Solid, solid. That's pretty good. We got to pat ourselves on the back. We're still going. Uh, it's been a year, more than a year now. Yeah. And uh, um, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep rocking and rolling. We're gonna keep philosophizing around this idea of fitness. We're getting close uh, to forty days and forty nights. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Soon. Soon. That's what we're gonna package after the next show. Is um is we're going to put this into like a, a game changing, you know, mind bending thing that people can do just uh, one episode a day for 40 days, change your life. Yeah. Yeah. And didn't Moses spend uh, 40 years in the desert? Oh yeah. I mean, well, don't worry. We got all the ideas on the packaging of the 40 days. <clears throat> There's also the 40, 40 days. Uh, no, that was 40 year old virgin. I was thinking of something else. Anyways, we can tie them all together. <laughs> Fact that as well, which was a good movie, by the way. That was a lot yeah. of humor, a lot of humor in that one. I just saw an article the other day. I don't know why they're writing about it now. I mean, maybe they wrote about it, wrote about it when it came out, but they were talking about how uh, Steve Carell getting his uh, sweater on his chest waxed was a, uh, a master class in method acting. Like, <laughs> I mean, he quite literally did that and like did many different takes. And yeah. oh man, yeah. Yeah, I just I funny. It's funny to think too that I'm not sure if that uh, that would go over well. Can you imagine bringing that script into uh, current Hollywood <laughs> today? Probably not. Talk about what? <laughs> oh my! All righty. Uh, this is also a couplet. Yes, it is. All right. So, um... or the beginning of a couplet. Yeah, the beginning of a couplet. I mean, yeah, probably two of the more famous concepts in philosophy are the you know concepts of objectivity and subjectivity. And sometimes, you know, people will characterize philosophy as the attempt to get what Thomas Nagel calls the view from nowhere, right? This this idea of kind of an eternal perspective, a perspective without bias, a perspective without um, values. Some some would say, but to try to um, you know, not, not, that, not that there isn't importance and value in each of our unique perspectives, but trying to figure out what truths remain independently of, you know, time, language, nation, race, religion, all these different things that you can uh, abstract from. And on the positive side, people will talk about how, you know, that's how you really reach truth. And then on the negative side, sometimes people will talk about how, well, we're just kind of left with cold, lifeless facts at the end of that whole, that whole thing. So it's an interesting, mm -hmm. it's an interesting discussion. And as it relates to um, fitness, you know, we'll, we'll get into today, you know, there's all sorts of objective metrics and standards within fitness. Um, and on the subjectivity side, when we, when we get to it, there's, you know, what sorts of things can't be captured by those metrics and what things go beyond that and, um, you know, need to be uh, inquired about between coach and client about, you know, how do you feel and how this go and, and things of that nature. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. My first or my, my, actually my first foray into like 
actually spending some periods of time without me being whatsoever still knowledgeable of the particular topic topic was my foray into those who I liked listening to uh, talk about objective morality um, and the the massive amount of you know <laughs> depth and breadth you need to have to, to handle the conversation of the people that talk about the arguments around that. Um, I found that I'm only making mentioning of it that this I, I probably am a in mind uh, and brain a rookie to this concept. Um, uh, not that uh, I probably couldn't rehash 48 years of my life and like okay, da, 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 but I just couldn't. I didn't really like grasp onto it or talk about it, etc. So that's where it's come up for me as being a really interesting thing, and uh, more so over the past number of years. Um, just watching as as time goes by and as fitness evolves, where I, you know, play a role in what I do for for contribution and uh, how, you know, uh, trying to get really good with the language of the differences in the two of uh, objectivity and subjectivity. And to your final point there, uh, where, where does this, where does this uh, land, you know, as a fitness coach and why is it important as a fitness coach? And, and uh, my whole point to say that this is an important topic um, and uh I hope uh, those of you can, if, it, if this is the first time for you getting into that, um, you know, Robbie, you could share as well, but um, you can contact us. I got a bunch of different areas you can get into that uh, can allow you to dig like I did, you know, many years ago, just on, you know, what is that thing and, and why is it important to talk about? So, so I appreciate you uh, creating this topic for us uh, around fitness um, Two, I guess you would say, recent loves <laughs> you know a love of getting into objective stuff versus subjective and then fitness so it's a nice package yeah thank you and i i mean i i agree with what you said and i think um i'm, I'm now kind of surprised i didn't put this in the initial outline because i think the topic you mentioned is such a good way for people to get into it this notion of objective morality i don't think you need to have uh, you know, obviously, as you said, there's a tremendous amount of discussion within philosophy about this, but I think even if one doesn't have a background in philosophy, that's a really great way to get into the notion of objectivity. So I guess just to give people something to latch onto at the start here, I'm sure most of us at some point in our life have pondered, like, why is it that in Saudi Arabia or India, there are these different cultures or customs or different ways of going about things, sometimes rising to the level of what should be morally done or not. Um, and we start to wonder, well, is something right or wrong just depending on the religion you're born into or the culture you're born into or the nation you're born into? And then even more deeply, not just within the same year or the present time, but like questions about, well, um, you know, uh, early presidents of the United States being slave owners and Aristotle believing in slavery. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This, this question about when we talk about objectivity, we're talking about um, things that perhaps humans should be able to recognize irrespective of time, place, uh, language, culture, religion, uh, sometimes on the basis purely of like rationality, just the, the human organism should be able to do this. And that of course connects to 
kind of the discussions we'll eventually have with fitness about like, what are the things that the human organism should be able to, you know, do um, objectively, irrespective of time, place, culture, religion, things like that. So, yeah, yeah, the uh, yeah, because I found just more more personal to me the uh, reading on you know uh, as in one particular topic, right? So the uh, you know um, uh, marriage, um, and I can tr- try to tie in how all that will work together, but uh, you know the uh, the choice selection or mate selection of why you would want to, um, you know, spend time with one other person, um, you know, and, uh, propagate and have children and be in that, you know, single relationship for a really long period of time. You know, the questions around that, um, although they, to, to a number of people, a number of our listeners, uh, they, they, you know, in a lot of people's mind, they just make sense. But the whole topic in itself, just because it makes sense to you, doesn't mean that there's, you know, uh, actual connectors in an objective realm to why that is the way it is, you know, right. and that, that's the, and, and that one in, in itself, I just make mentioning of your, your point there of, uh, of uh, getting into those areas. It's a, um, it's a great opportunity for growth. It's a great opportunity for growth uh, for your mind to basically figure out, you know, uh, and open your eyes up to not everyone seeing it the way you see it. And why was that the case? And then of course the evolutionary biology or evolutionary psych route that you could go to try to figure out like, well, why does that work? You know, why, why did that work to use your, you use your words, let's strip it back as far as possible. Why did that work between two opposite se- sex organisms, you know, and why, why would it work for a period of time, even without constructs of religion or marriage or whatever. And then to go there really gave us some good, you know, uh, good conversation anyways. So, yeah. So that's another, another area where I found it extremely interesting um, of some questions. Some of our listeners may have of, uh, just marriage and spending time with one for the rest of your life. Um, painstakingly. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> I have to, <laughs> I got to balance it out with, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's no answers in that. <laughs> Who's listening to this right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, you obviously know my wife isn't. <laughs> Um, no, yeah, but I love you. I love you, honey. You know, I'm just joking. We're, we're just kidding around here. We're just, 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 just for yucks here. Just, just playing around. Yeah. Um, no, but I mean, that's a good point in that, that, you know, not just with marriage, but with other things, but marriage is a good example. You know, philosophers will ask questions like, well, is it because certain biological organisms are more or less suited to monogamy? Is it because of monotheistic religious traditions that started to become more prevalent around the time of agriculture, but not really before that, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and, and like you were saying, um, in a lot of ways, this can be beneficial for humans, but it can also be detrimental. Humans have this tremendous propensity to like view how things are the way they are when they're born as like, that's the way it should be. Okay, cool. Let's move on. We don't need to question this you know, great. We don't need to like reinvent the wheel each time. So that's the good part. But then the other part is like, you're just so um, enmeshed in it that you can, it's hard for you to like step back and see, oh, wait, um, you know, this wasn't always the way it was. And like, I just had this conversation with a nutrition client the other day and I've, I've heard Michael Pallon, the famous food writer say it too. Like 
bread is the staff of life. Really? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, really? Like, I mean, you, you can you can have it, but I mean, this is like a, you know, this is this is a product of a certain cultural tradition. It's like, wait, what about all that time before humans had bread? Do you know what I mean? Just like thinking yeah. of like, where where did that all come from? So, yeah. I'm just pulling yourself back from the cultural uh, baggage or background that you are uh, part of. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And that's this, this does fall in line back to our topic today, right. Of this subjectivity around what we think is correct or true, you know, versus how do we, how do we come up with, with, I think we people, I think what, with what you've outlined, you're going to give people a little bit of a better guide to that. How do you come up with a way of determining an objective manner, you know? Right. Yeah. So I guess to start off with, you know, getting some purchase on objectivity. Uh, I think an important thing to remember that is that objectivity is a value, um, meaning that it holds a certain importance to us that we approve of certain things being more or less objective in certain contexts. So there are certain contexts where objectivity doesn't really matter, um, but there are certain ones where it does. Uh, it comes in degrees. It's not, it's not an either or black or white proposition facts or theories can be more or less objective. Um, And then part of what objectivity involves is being true, irrespective of language, time, location, culture, religion, et cetera. So just some examples here that have been, you know, offered up within philosophy and science, you know, two plus two equals four equals MC squared objects near the surface of the earth fall within acceleration of 9.8 meters per second squared. Um, and then on the more subjective, cultural, time and place dependent, you know, going back to the topic of marriage, um, should arranged marriages take place in a given culture um, that pushes and pulls against autonomy and, you know, th- things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember hearing one second. Should there be about, dependency in the fitness model? Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I remember... Um, it was on a food show once they were talking about how like the mark of whether you could tell someone was from a particular culture or not was whether they found fermented foods from that culture, either gross or delicious. Mm. So to use an example here, natto, which the only reason I even know about, and I suspect most people listening to this know about is because uh, in health circles, they'll talk about one of the few natural sources of vitamin K2. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, I've never had it. I've heard that it's neither. Yeah. For, for <laughs> most people, it's pretty gross, but you know, there are whole swaths of people that enjoy it. So that, that would be a subjective thing where within a culture, this is very much appreciated, but a lot of it I'm sure has to do with um, cultural exposure and family background and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, is baseball or basketball, the better sport, of course, basketball, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> no question in March. That's unfair. Yes, that's true. <laughs> That's true. Um, one other way to put this that I just thought and of being as from a, Indiana. That, that, uh, that is true. That is true. Um, one other way that I thought about putting this that uh, I just thought about as I was working through this is there's a famous philosopher, uh, Willard Van Orman Quine from, uh, from Harvard, who talked about what he called the web of belief and things near the center of the web were much less likely to be changed by 
new and different experiences. So those would be kind of things like two plus two equals four equals MC squared. They mm -hmm. could be changed, but boy, you would need a lot of a contrary evidence to like mm -hmm. push and pull against them. Whereas things on the periphery, like arranged marriage or this being a good tasting food could be much more easily changed by new and different experiences. So that's, that's a, it's not quite exactly a definition of objectivity and subjectivity, but that's a way for people maybe to visually represent. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, for my mind anyways, um, does that also then mean that there's uh, some gray areas or nuance there between the inside and the outside of the web? Yeah, it means basically the further out you get, the less um, either certain or axiomatic or foundational things take place. Yeah. Uh, whereas the things in the front are, or the things in the center are the things that have kind of stood the test of time and mm. could be overturned, but it would take something gigantic to happen. Mm. Yeah. I, the way I'm just visioning it on my mind is that a web is connected, mm -hmm. right? So connect connection to mean in, to me in systems means that there's a continuum, you know, a higher ordering of, of things. Um, and were you saying the same thing that there is this like, you know, step one, two plus two equals four. That's my question is what is step two, three, four, as opposed to like, I couldn't come up with a good example as to what step 10 is that's subjective in two plus two, for example, but. No, but I mean, that's, that's actually exactly right. So two plus three could equal five or two, no, two plus two plus three could equal four. I guess maybe that's so far out, but no, it's hard even. No, but I mean, the way you put it is exactly right. And that's actually what Quine uh, and uh, another couple of philosophers were famous for. They were, famous for this view of what's called theory holism. And all that means is the standard view of science is something like, oh, we take a particular, um, we take a particular proposition, like, you know, let's just use gravity. Objects near the surface of the earth fall with this particular acceleration. And when you do an experiment, you're testing, oh, is that statement true? So like you run the experiment and you say, oh, is this particular statement true? And you can either prove it or disprove it by running the experiment. What Quine and Duhem and others come along and say is, no, 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 no. Anytime you do an experiment, you're testing the entire web of belief, the entire thing, all of science, all of physics, the whole, the whole shebang. And we can try and like localize it to this particular part. But really, if you get a contrary result, it could contradict that particular proposition that you were trying to test or the entire house of cards. Mm -hmm. and that's what like Einstein and quantum mechanics eventually do. Like Einstein mm -hmm. comes along and says, uh, hey, it's not just this particular blip in Newton's theory. It's the whole damn thing. It's mm -hmm. all you know, space and time and mm -hmm. things like that. So your, your characterization of it as like a web that's all interconnected, that's, that is precisely the point. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that can, that, that must be, that must be troublesome, I guess, when you get into complex things like nutrition and nutrition absorption and humans and nutrition and nutrition metabolism, it's gotta be difficult, right? To to, to bring all those things in and be like, oh, these rules are going to apply here as well. Um, it's, it's all inside of it. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a potential example that could hold there is something like, you know, in nutrition, perhaps in fitness as well, we, we have evolutionary biology as this like foundational piece and boy, is it going to take us uh, a tremendous amount of evidence from randomized controlled trials. Maybe they could overturn that and say, Hey, you know what? You should be sleeping from 4 a.m. to 
8 a.m. Yeah. Four hours, you know, mm -hmm. not in a good rhythm. Yeah. But boy, is it going to take a lot of counter evidence to disprove that. Right, right. That type of thing. Yeah. Um, another <laughs> way for people to think about objective versus subjective facts that a lot of Enlightenment philosophers talked about is about objects. So, you know, think about a chair, for example. Um, there are certain properties that we would say are in the object, its length and its mass. Um, the chair doesn't disappear when I turn off the light. Um, but then there are things that are in the subject viewing it. So the, you know, things like color and temperature are what are sometimes called secondary qualities that, um, you know, there's no such thing as like the red in my shirt. That's just a particular, you know, atomic propensity of light to, you know, bounce off in a certain way. And for us to be affected in a certain way, there's no such thing as coldness or heat in an object. There's just you know, how we interpret the relative motion of particular atoms and things like that. Yeah. So. yeah. And the chair does go away to the three-year-old. They think the chair has disappeared. So the person who's, who's on the other, other end of this uh, is somewhat to be taken into consideration. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's a good point too. You know, there's, there's sometimes in philosophy a question of like, is object permanence something imposed on our mind? Like, is the world, you know, outside of human knowing actually such that there is object permanence or is that what we have to like throw on it? Yeah. Actually yeah. navigate. Yeah. This is where I think also, is this where simulation theory comes in? Uh, yeah, I could see it. What I think, yeah, based upon what this entire thing is and how we're perceiving it and yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, objectivity is also an ideal of scientific inquiry. Part of what makes science great is that it challenges our biases, our intuitions, our guesses, theories, folk wisdom, folk wisdom nepotism, and racism. Um, and it just asks, like, what is true across all these different times and places? So while people in India or France or the United States might use different um, systems of measurement, the truth of the, the truth of those propositions ends up being the same, you know what I mean? Like, so whether you use the metric system or whether you use the imperial system, like those same truths, you know, are what are sometimes called invariant. So meaning like they, they don't vary across cultures. A meter in France is a meter in Canada. Exactly. But a meter in France is three feet in America. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. So yeah. even though you have these different systems of me measurement and language and culture, like um, someone trying to measure, let's, here, here's another way to put it, um, or example, someone trying to figure out the distance between the earth and the moon may have different methodologies that they go about to figure that out. They may have different systems of measurement that they go about to figure it out. But ultimately, truth is one. Truth is invariant. You're, you're going to come to the same uh conclusion at a certain point once we get down to brass tacks about how the how the um the measurement was taken and, and things like that. And after so much measurement right because you know when things are fairly new systems can tilt towards what you are measuring right and that can get you into trouble but if you continually do it over and over and over the meter is going to end up still being the meter no matter where you are dark or or light depending upon how the earth is spinning you know it's still the same Exactly. Invariant. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great word of the day. Pee Wee Herman red chair freak out moment. 
it would be amazing if right now we just had like a clip of Pee Wee Herman just like cut in and oh hi guys dude it's up to you I mean you can do it put it in or at least the sound yep (laughs) (laughs) we'll see if YouTube uh flags flags the content (laughs) or maybe they give it an extra extra plus um (laughs) I'm premium bro yeah so um Sometimes objectivity is referred to as, like I mentioned earlier, the view from nowhere. And again, this is this idea that humans have a particular perspective. Part of the work of objectivity is to minimize how particular that perspective is when thinking about objective facts. And to bring it to another area that's not just science, but, but politics, um, uh, the famous political philosopher uh, John Rawls, Uh, one of his most famous thought experiments was this notion of what he called the veil of ignorance, which is basically the following idea. Do the following thought experiment. When setting up a society, um, in the ideal scenario, you would want to try to abstract from the things that are particular to you, your, your race, your religion, your culture, your language, such that we create a system of justice that is equal and fair to all. Uh, such that, you know, how we are treated by the system doesn't depend on whether we are born rich, whether we're born to particular parents uh, and other people that have challenged this view, but it's it's just an example of objectivity in play in a different realm than science of, hey, let's not just be so latched on to our subjective characteristics. Let's actually try to pull back and see the world in a more broad way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way of explaining that. <clears throat> it's helpful because my initial, your initial starting point, I think you talked about it from the, from the get-go as well, of that view from nowhere that didn't stick. Okay. Yeah, but that, uh, that certainly does help it. Um, so, yeah, that's helpful. One other thing I would say there on the view from nowhere. I think that- the word in there, sorry, Robbie, the particular is the word in there that should be highlighted. The particular perspective, because that gives you into a, a, that it is a particular perspective. It's not the perspective. Yeah, it's a particular one. And that's based upon who we are and what we start with. And there, you know, Rawls work can certainly give us a a good thought experiment for that. Yeah. So, I mean, really with objectivity, we're trying to pull away from the particularity as much as we can. And sometimes the view from nowhere is referred to as the God's eye view. Yeah. Okay. That's, yeah, that's good too. Yeah. Um, The idea that, you know, um, if you removed all the different particularities of the fact that humans have this sight capacity and this, you know, uh, smelling capacity and we're such and such height and such and such, you know, we live such and such period of time. um, What, what would remain as truth? Um, Another interesting, important fact for people to know that I think is uh, just interesting from a historical perspective for a long time, the aim of science and particularly Newtonian physics was to find these truths, the view from nowhere. And then quantum mechanics came along and basically was like, guess what? You can't ever get to the point where the measuring instrument doesn't have some impact on the thing being measured. So it kind Mm -hmm. of, as far as we know right now, obliterated this notion that science could ever get to like the perfect view from nowhere or the God's eye view. Yeah. But it's still a, it's still a useful concept. Sure. For sure. I also, yeah, I also did think about that. Um, yeah. All right. So yeah. last couple of things before we talk about. Yeah, time screws everything up. 
It does. It does. Passes it all up. Well, over time, <laughs> your thoughts may change on why that apple drops to the ground. Yeah, something that seems so incredibly simple. And yeah, the apple may have been in a super in a superposition of being both on the ground and not on the ground at the same time. What? Yeah. yeah. So uh, last couple of things before we get to objectivity and nutrition and fitness and, and standards and fitness. Um, so just some different ways to think about objectivity. One way is faithfulness to facts. So here, if we say a claim is objective, it describes the world out there correctly, irrespective of our subjectivity. Um, another way to talk about uh, objectivity is in terms of value-free claims. If a claim is objective, it is free from any particular uh, values, you know, the the universe is 14 billion years old. There's no values in that. That's just a mm. fact. Mm -hmm. um, and then absence of personal bias. So if a claim is objective, it is free from personal biases. So if someone witnesses a car crash and they say, well, you know, such and such person ran the red light, but they, you know, this is why it's important to know about conflicts of interests and vendettas and yes. all these different things, because it's a profoundly human thing for those types of things to influence or color our view of what happened. Um, another way to think about this that most people have probably heard before, you're entitled to your opinions, but not your facts. That's kind of the same thing. Um, and then the last sort of thing I thought would be useful here that's, I think, certainly related to the nutrition and fitness realm and uh, plays a role in objectivity as well. It is difficult to get a man to understand something when his salary depends on him not understanding it. Yeah just this push and pull between subjectivity and objectivity, um, you know, yeah. in, in general, but in the fitness and nutrition realm as well. Yeah, for sure. What you hold dear and what you're currently doing and what's important to you and what's important to your increase in competency and what's important to how you perceive your increase in um, your ability to do your job and to continue to put food on your table and to, you know, uh, to believe what you believe. Yeah. A lot goes into that. Yeah. So any, any other thoughts there before we, we launch into? Uh, not really. That was really good. Um, helpful, uh, succinct, but uh, I think a simple um, base support to help us get into nutrition and fitness. So I think one question we could ask right off the bat here is like, what role does objectivity play in, in fitness and nutrition? Um, this notion of like, you know, to take a famous example, probably a lot of people are familiar with uh, within, you know, our audience, should humans be able to do like a 10 minute, you know, paleo chair? Do you know what I mean? Like, should we able to be able to run, uh, like you were saying, you know, two hours, uh, one day and then do it again in the next couple of days. Should we be able to uh, deadlift a certain uh, amount of weight? And the idea here is that, you know, abstracting from the culture you're born in to the time you're born into, are there certain things that are, again, invariant across cultures, times, and, and uh, places? So, yeah, I guess we can start there. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't, I don't even know where to begin on it, but uh, maybe you could like, let me know how um, I, or, uh, you know, fitness currently uses that um, as a, 
you know, is it is it uh, currently in our language when we you know say things like um, um, you know being able to perform pull up is is hanging from a bar and then getting your chin up over the bar and then coming back down with your arms straight, you know, and that's a, that's a, you know, an objective measure of one person of someone doing a pull-up. Um, you know, is that where, is that where, is that a simple way of saying, you know, indirectly getting to that, you know, as to what role it plays, meaning that the role that it would play would be that, it's important for the person to know what a pull-up is and what a measure is of a pull-up and what actually, you know, what actually is the thing that we're talking about um, that was actually performed. So people don't just talk about it or say it or feel a certain way about it. It's like, no, well, could you do a pull-up? No, you couldn't. Well, then you didn't do a pull-up. And there, there's a there's a truth in that. No, you, you didn't do a pull-up because this is what a pull-up is. And we're all agreeing, no matter where you are, France or Canada, that that's what a pull-up is and you didn't do one. Um, so may, am I, my using the pull-up as an example of just like physical expression being like true physical expression as a way that we, uh, we use objectivity in fitness. Yeah, no, I think that's a of fitness. Men yeah. Men. I think that's a good one. I think there are, you know, other ways to talk about it too, where like we've talked about the, you know, the 10 physical characteristics is that right. a, a, a truth, um, are there things that, um, you know, even before, you know, pull-ups existed, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, there was like a bar, obviously I mean, people yeah. have been you know, climbing yeah. up on rocks and all things like that, yeah. um, that humans could do irrespective of place and time. But yeah, I, I definitely think that's a, a good example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then that's how I, I just think about it is the, um, is how it plays a role for me is, is almost this, uh, uh, an, uh, opportunity for people to, to, to kind of see, uh, you know, where they currently are and what they're capable of doing, um, you know, to try to get, you know, more, more generalized on, on where I see it plays a role in fitness. It's an opportunity for a coach to work with that client to determine what, what is exactly true in their current physical expression, right? Like, you, you, you couldn't hold that squat for more than 10 seconds, you know, and before we even get to standards, um, you know, but you now, because I said it, you now know that, you know, 10 minutes might be good, but the truth is you couldn't hold it for longer than 10, you know? Um, now that's what, that, that's what you and I both saw. So this, I guess, is the objectivity around that particular thing for the day. And that, that's, that could be another example where it's really important. Um, you know, if you, if you're not hearing what I'm saying, um, it's good for a coach to be able to have that objectivity understanding with the client, you know, um, cause they could, it could start you on your path of the whole thing we talk about of treating people where they are and giving them something that's a little bit more challenging than what they currently are capable of doing. Well, what are they currently capable of doing? Well, whatever you guys both decided, that's the objective truth of what they were capable of doing right? They couldn't do a pull-up. They fell off the bar in five seconds and they couldn't hold more than 10 seconds for the squat. And then you just start building something that's progressively more challenging than that. Yeah, absolutely. And you, you and I were talking about before the episode, I feel like this uh, quote relates directly to what we were just talking about. You know, the Mike Tyson quote, everybody's got a plan to get punched in the face. Um, and the way that relates here is that 
you know, I'm sure you've seen it so, so many times. I've seen it so many times, like whether it's in the nutrition realm, it's like, no, tomorrow, like cutting all this stuff out or, you know, let me, let me do this workout. I'm going to, you know, lift so much weight and I'm going to get so many rounds. Like that's where objectivity comes in. It is a standard against which we can say, well, let's see in the object, in the experience, what actually happens. And it's, uh, it's also value free. That's important yeah. too. It doesn't mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean right. that, you know, they, they've done anything wrong, but it's also like, did this happen or did this not? And it also goes back to this notion of, you know, physical challenges that we've discussed a lot where how is something a challenge without something objective outside of you to then strive for, right? Like it, it kind of loses. It's not that you, there can't be subjective things that go into it too, but that's precisely what makes it challenging is this thing outside of you that you either are capable of getting or, or not capable of getting. And like, there's, there's risk there mm -hmm. uh, in attempting to endeavor that, that activity. Yeah. Yeah, Robbie, I get a little bit more challenged on the uh, the lack of real simple uh, acute measurement in the nutrition realm of this information that comes in um, relative to just, you know, clear, very acute understanding that you can't do the pull-up. But with regards to nutrition, let's use the example of, you know, it takes, takes 90 minutes before someone is like ready to go to sleep because they had way too many carbohydrates at one meal, right. Or one sitting. Um, so let's just take that out and, and say, well, maybe it's a, it's a subclinical effect on blood sugar, you know, management and their perceptions are a little off and they're always stimulated. So it takes 10 years before we decide we get to see the objective truths around pounding sugars too often, uh, for digest, you see what I'm saying? Like it's it, the, the physical challenges realm and the nutrition realm, I think in the nutrition realm, it offers a little bit more of this challenge around objectivity, um, to, to use as a coach. Are you with me on that? Or am I? No, I mean, it's, it's super interesting that you said that. Cause I actually thought the exact reverse going into okay. this episode, but, but the way you're characterizing it, I think I understand what you're saying. And I don't think our views are incompatible And here. So here's what I, I think maybe the difference. So if I'm understanding what you're saying correctly and correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. uh, with something like the pull-up, it's just immediately obvious, like, Hey, you either did it or you didn't do it. Uh, whereas with, yeah, we're both you and the client are going, yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. You couldn't do it. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was like right then, like five seconds late. Yeah. Right. Whereas with nutrition, yeah, I've definitely run into this before. People can point to as many different variables as they want to, to try to dodge and dance around. Well, I didn't have this night of sleep, but no, I had this craving, you know, mm -hmm. so you don't, you don't see the metabolic effects of failing the pull-up, so to speak, yeah. until uh, much later down the line. To a, to a weight loss conversation, right? Like, you yeah. know, um, yeah, that's why I was, yeah. So we're, yeah. Yeah. That I, that I definitely agree with the, the part where I thought it might be the reverse, but in a different way was with regard to, um, you know, certain characteristics that one looks to objectivity, I think, in, in nutrition. So there are lots of different, you know, ways of parsing out what makes a good food. But the five that I usually use are nutrient density, blood sugar balance, psychological addictiveness, digestive health and inflammation. And again, there, there are many different ways of parsing this immune health, hormonal health, but nutrient density is an objective fact. You know, like there are, there are just objective facts in the matter about like meat contains certain nutrients that aren't in plants. Plants contain certain nutrients that aren't in meat. That is an objective fact. Now, whether someone chooses to, you know, 
uh, follow a vegan or vegetarian diet for ethical and environmental reasons. Cool. What have you, but that there is an objective fact that you aren't going to be getting the same nutrients from plant matter as you are from meat is a objective fact. There are objective facts about blood sugar balance, like mm -hmm. any way you slice it, like a steak and butter is not going to raise your blood sugar as much as a, you know, 60 ounce diet, you know, 60 ounce Coke. So, mm -hmm. um, that's where I was trying to think of like similar things, I guess, in the, um, are we talking about the new Coke, like sugar zero, sugar Coke zero? Are we talking Coke like zero. exactly? Well, it, it, it's the new, new Coke, right? Didn't, didn't they cancel the new Coke? Subjectivity. Yeah, <laughs> what, <right? what> are... <laughs> um, uh, sounds like a tobacco hearing. I know. Right. Yeah, didn't they cancel the new Coke? And then, yeah, now I guess there's yep. Coke Zero, but yeah, just under yep. a different name. But yeah, in in the um, so in the nutrition realm, I see certain things like this where like it's just it it's an objective fact that broadly speaking, there are going to be certain foods that spike blood sugar more than others. Uh, obviously, within you know, with some variance in between populations, some foods that are more nutrient dense. And I was just trying to think of. I think there are some candidates for similar things in fitness, but that's where I was wondering, like, are there similar type things we can point to in, in fitness? Um, yeah. Um, I probably, I probably have mentioned some before, but, um, I just keep thinking about, uh, you know, what that person is, is capable of performing, you know, in front of you on that day is the, is the, is the object is the, is the truth in what they're capable of performing, you know? So I don't, I don't know, you know, how many times we can come up with different examples of that, of, uh, that's necessary for it, but, you know, someone, um, you know, not knowing exactly what they're capable of for our definition of capacity on a bike for 10 minutes. Right. And then they do it and they, there's a score and that score is 126 cals and it's not 210 cals. It's 126. So that's, that's what they were you know, basically capable of performing on that day. And that's our objective measure, right? So how did you do? How did you do on it? Well, I don't care how you did. <laughs> it, what was your score? Your score was 126. Um, and then getting, did you do or what the, you know, how do we measure that up against, you know, compared to other people or how this plays a part in the role and what you're going to do for exercise going forward, et cetera. That's, that's outside of, you know, what the score was for today. Um, and I don't know if I'm going down the right, right line and, you know, answering your question on how that's used inside of fitness, but I uh, just keep going back to those things that we see right in front of us that both you and the client agree upon is what their current physical expression capabilities are, you know? Yeah. So I think that, I think that starts to get in the direction. I think the follow-up question I would have, have there that we have discussed in the past, but just maybe delving a bit more into it is, you know, so there's obviously the immediacy of like, what can the client perform that day? Certainly. But if you said, Oh, you know, should, you know, let's, let's have you do a strict muscle up or, you know, a handstand push up or climb a peg wall. Like those are all cool little tricks, I suppose that someone can do. But the further question I would ask is what should as a human, they mm. be capable of doing. So mm. like nutrient density and blood sugar balance, like objectively for health and longevity, your food should contain those things. Yeah, that's, they should. That's, that's, that's not just a, like, uh, a, you know, a random metric that we kind of threw in there, kind of like a muscle up as a interesting, but kind of made up 
you know, contrived yeah. thing. So yeah. it, it goes back more to your, your conversation around. Okay. The two body weight deadlift, uh, yeah. to run. <laughs> should people be able to hold a paleo chair for 10 minutes? Like what, what sorts of things exist of that nature, I guess. Yeah. Whew. Well, uh, to go back, cause I forgot to mention it. Um, it was only because I had, uh, spent time with Matt Lalonde, um, years back. Um, and he and a number of other people, uh, challenged the notion of your com cause your commentary on there's uh, some objective things around nutrient density. Um, that wasn't accepted 20 years ago, um, to our point of like, well, if everyone agreed, it wasn't agreeable. It was largely up in the air. Cause you would say in 1985, uh, nutrient density was based upon uh, grains, the amount of grains at the top of the pyramid or the amount of grains at the bottom of the pyramid, you know, what's on your plate for what, what was the definition of the most nutrient dense. So as the definition of nutrient density and the testing of that and the standards of what we're all considering together as being nutrient dense per calorie, then it started to change. And it took people like Matt Lon and others to say, well, how are we going to define nutrient density? Um, and there's a lot of political politics and shit inside of that because as I've said many times before, it actually flipped the entire, you know, hundred food standards, <laughs> you know, everything was at the bottom, went to the top of nutrient density. Um, and as you can imagine, that made a lot of people unhappy with the objective truth around what's the most nutrient dense. <laughs> yes, but I'm going to, I'm just going to just, yes, but uh, this is a super important point. So, mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I mean, Matt Lalonde, uh, had great stuff on that. I know currently, uh, Sarah Ballantyne is coming out with a cool website, Nutrivore that has a lot of really good stuff. And, you know, a lot of the discussions, like you said, really do revolve around what counts as, how do we determine this? Um, however, there is an objective fact of the matter, whether humans recognize it or not, whether we were even aware of vitamins and minerals or not 300 years ago about which foods contain more or less vitamin A. It's the same oh, yes. thing with yeah. the eggs and bacon discussion where, yeah, 20 or 30 years ago, people thought that wasn't so healthy and we've since come to realize. So it's not that the objective truth about there being more or less vitamin A yeah. in a food has changed. It's that what people used as criteria for determining that has subsequently been corrected in a more, uh, you know, uh, I would say relevant fashion. So yes. That, that's, that's the only thing I would say there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So if I worded that, I worded that, uh, indifferently, then I apologize. Um, but that it, again, it just, before I embark on the, uh, the concepts of standards, it's just important to know that there was a point in time where the large majority, <laughs> you know, uh, would have all gotten a room and even agreed, even to what you would think the smartest people in the room for a long period of time. Right. Um, but they, they would have, to your point, they still would have agreed that, you know, if someone was to say, where, where does vitamin A show up in its most natural environment and what food sources, everyone would all point to that particular food. Right. Um, which I don't even know what that is, but I should know that. Um, <laughs> pretty sure it's liver, but I, I could be wrong. Sure right. The, yeah. I don't know why I'm hesitant to say the organ meats or anyways. Um, yeah. Am I correct in saying that, um, like where does objectivity and subjectivity, sorry, is a question back before I answer your question, but where does objectivity subjectivity fit in here? Maybe it needs to be phrased better, you know, or, cause it seems like 
we're just going to replay the conversation on what I think people should be doing. Uh, and then I got to go, I, I got to take a, a time lie sequence of like homo sapien locomotion, uh, what we're capable of expressing in contractions. What is a lifetime, you know, of a mortal, simple, simpleton, <laughs> simple, simple mortal <laughs> that we are. Um, and not just high threshold monkeys or, or a sack of uh, a meat sack. Um, can you help me there to start? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess as I'm thinking about it, there's this notion within, um, in or does it just, or does it just show up and be like, Oh, it's, we think this is a really good thing that all humans should work towards. And, and how, how is that into the conversation on objectivity, subjectivity? That's, I think that's what I'm asking. I think there can be a couple different layers to it. One layer is kind of the nature evolutionary history conversation. And then there can be questions about objectivity and sort of um, culturally created things like uh, basketball or biking or th things, things like that. Mm. But on the, on the natural side of things, there's this notion within philosophy of proper function. And all that means is just something like if the heart is properly functioning, it pumps blood. If yeah. you know stomach is properly functioning, it releases stomach acid and breaks down food. So the way you might ask this in the fitness question is if a human being, an adult human being is properly functioning in all its organs and so on and so forth, what sorts of physical activities should it be able to engage in? Mm. You know, what's walking or climbing or jumping or squatting? Like what should that organism be able to do invariant across times, places, cultures, that yeah. type of thing. Yeah. And allowing and allowing for when we say the proper function thing, there can be situations where there isn't proper function. Of course, someone who maybe is missing a leg cannot engage in those things. Mm -hmm. That's that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well it uh when it when it only comes down to movement, it's um um yeah if, if it's just down to movement, meaning we're not talking about uh what these people are consuming or putting in their bodies as well as what their thoughts are, you know? Um, so if it's only going to be broken down to the physicality aspect, um, I don't know anywhere else to go besides just, you know, saying, well, who those were listening in, you know, uh, what, what is, what is real right now uh, in, in regards to the main reason why people do physical activity today. Um, you could start there um, and then not forget that let's, let's all agree just for the sake of this conversation, let's all agree that, you know, homo sapiens moved through this physical environment of, you know, hunter gatherer in short order form, hunter gatherer to farms, to workers, you know, and uh, in, in those, in those three massive big periods over hundreds of thousands of years. Um, and then timeline sequence for the worker, maybe, you know, I don't know, a couple of hundred. Um, you know, we have changed tremendously uh, the actual day-to-day -day requirements to answer your question on what we should do to have the optimal level of health relative to how to experience this thing we call reality as best as possible. Um, where, and I don't know any other way to put it, uh, but it's the way I always see it is that we've, we, we've, we've created, uh, a, we, we've created ways 
to do movement and to, to think that we must do movement um, in order to do what we do and experience what we experience. Um, whereas many, many eons ago, we didn't even have those conversations or those thoughts because it was just innate and implicit in all the stuff we do that we just move around and we move around. We have to do these things in order to keep, in order to keep going forward. So that's, that's one of the big, the big jumps, but also, you know, what we're dealt, what, what we're dealing with, uh, today, um, of a huge, you know, a huge, uh, I would call it cognitive push, um, where physicality is, is to, to try to get to answer your question is not, not seemed as being any, what any, any, anything important really. Um, which, which also, which, which allows a lot of answers to propagate as to like, what should people do to remain healthy and to, to be physical, et cetera, um, to give a little bit of a beacon of light. It's, it, you know, you could just say, you know, well, how about we just over the past, you know, a hundred years, uh, do a real good analysis without randomized controlled trials or studies or et cetera, but just really good analysis from an investigative journalist of like n equals 300 of individuals that had what we've considered to be a really healthy life, you know, regardless of pain, no medicine, we can all come upon a measurement as to what that is. And I think that would be um, people, uh, again, this is without talking about nutrition or thoughts and, you know, cause that creates kind of convolutes it. Um, they continue to move. Um, and I'll color that more, but, um, they, they moved a lot. They continued to move, you know, um, and they moved every day. Um, and they probably moved every day to the point where they started to recognize, and this is where it comes in, you know, the long story, uh, or sorry, the short answer of standards, but the long story to get there, you know, this experimentation process of like, okay, maybe a hundred years ago, we said, we should probably move every day. Okay, cool. Well, what are we going to do? Because we don't need to move. Well, let's, let's see what's out there. What are these options? There's sport, there's resistance training, you know, and those were basically the only two things that started to color that quote unquote movement. I'm sure there's a bunch of others, but I'll just classify it there. And then uh, now in the early two thousands, that turned into like 75 options, right. Um, of what that movement could look like. And if we studied that, Robbie, for a hundred years, um, I think we would start to land on, uh, something that's like, you know, uh, uh, bipolar concepts that I always propose, which is easy aerobic work and physical challenges. And, you know, those physical challenges again, can be colored more and what it looks like, et cetera. And now you keep going down those roads and then you're going to end up landing on something like, well, we can't just make that all we can't just say patterns and paces and hopefully I'm using the word correctly here, but it's just the subjective way of saying, well, this is what we're going to do. Right. So let's create that. Let's, let's, let's tighten it up a little bit more. Right. Okay. Well, I'm going to take a stab, right. I'm going to take a stab and say, you know, listen, I've been constipated and took, a <laughs> I've taken a shit before. <laughs> And, or I've sneezed and busted an ab. Okay. So I can come up with a bunch of, or I've had coughing fits. 
right? Where I was just like exhausted. My core was exhausted. The whole point I'm trying to raise there is that, you know, whether you like it or not, for a long period of time, we have been capable of doing these really, uh, we really, I'll just call it high threshold contractions, right? We have the ability to like bear down and do something tremendous, you know, um, which I call like lighting up our, our nervous system can really get lit up right through the Valsalva maneuver and the, the way our muscles work and contract and how all these things coordinate, like whether you like it or not, we're capable of doing that. So what is the manifestation of that actual contraction? It could be a deadlift, right? And now you can color it even more. Well, let's, let's say it's two times body weight as a possible uh, kind of beacon of contraction that people could work towards that in long form, long form, you know, create an objective score total, right? Cause you either lifted, I'm 163 pounds right now. I either lifted 326 or I didn't, right? That's there's like, there's clarity in that. There's truth in it. I struggled at it or I, you know, was capable of it. By the way, I'm, if it's not obvious, I'm easily capable of doing that numerous times. Um, <laughs> I can even do that and jump over the bar. So, huh? Uh, so just for, the record. <laughs> just for the record, I could do it while jumping. So <laughs> I can leave the ground while I pulled it. Um, so the, yeah, just, <laughs> just for the record. Um, yeah. So that, that creates, and I hope I gave, I hope I gave a sequence to how I got there just with the resistance and I can do the same thing a little bit longer for running two hours, but it'd be the same. It's just on a different arm, right? I went down the aerobic, I went down the resistance contraction arena, right? As to how you get there. And then I went, I could go down the same route for running two hours. It would be all for the same things. Well, why two hours? Cause you either ran for two hours or you didn't, you know, like, Oh, but I, uh, I do aerobics. Eh, you know, or I, I, I do pacing every day and, eh, you know, we're kind of, and I guess that's where subjectivity is, is like, ah, eh, is it, is it really that? I mean, is, we're not landing on anything. Oh, well, you know, I'll give you something. Um, yeah. And maybe, maybe even within this, as I'm saying it, like, that's why I think I have a hard time, you know, um, with it being, should there be objective standards in fitness? Uh, I, I think uh, maybe it's important to know the intentions. So as I laid out that story, Robbie, maybe it gives a better idea of the intentions, right? The intentions is to just say, well, listen, I just know that we're capable of doing these things as humans. I also know that we don't need to do them. Right. But if you had these things that you were capable of doing as beacons that were objectively measured and it got most people there, <laughs> there being the the great land of like great physical function in the physicality realm alone. Right. Um, I think we could use those two. So I think that's where I land with the two times body weight deadlift and running for two hours and being able to do it, you know, every, every other day. Right. This is the, this is, you know, I, I color that, or I can, I can lengthen that out to explain it at a much deeper level, but um, that's right. That's where I land. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's helpful. And it, it made me think of a couple. Was it of helpful? 
was actually. Uh, okay. it, it made me think of a couple of things that I hadn't previously thought of that uh, I'll bring up and see what you think. Okay, good. So one is um, I, I going, you know, and I, I have on here, you know, possible sources of objectivity that we can use like within the fitness and nutrition realm, like evolutionary biology and exercise and nutrition science and clinical experience and coaching. I think, you know, there's an interesting discussion to be had around like, well, you know, we didn't just randomly pick the number two hours. That's mm. probably related in some way to human physiology and capability of like, oh, yep. utilizing substrate and like how yep. long we can go and like yep. a, a deadlift distributions of like, oh, yes, there are extreme ends of either, but like at a certain point, like humans aren't doing a 10 X body weight deadlift. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of where that, that notion of invariance comes back where we can make, you know, similar points, I guess, in nutrition about like, well, yes, you know, the mountain from game of Thrones is eating 10,000 calories a day. And some people are eating 500, but like in general, the human physiological organism is somewhere around, you know, two to 4,000, there's, you know what I mean? Like yep. we kind of start to narrow this down mm -hmm. uh, a bit more. And it's not just because we picked an arbitrary point. It's because there are facts about what muscle muscles are capable of in a properly functioning adult human, our utilization of substrate, those different rates. Um, so that's one thing I thought of. And then the second thing I thought of is um, maybe discussing uh, or just even thinking about, or it's just causing me to think about maybe a distinction between standards of what just a basic human being on any given day should be capable of versus like what they could come to achieve at some point, like the deadlift two X body weight. So like the one I always go back to that I've, you know, I've just, I've been fascinated by, and you know, you could, people will agree or disagree with it, but like, you know, Kelly started talking about the 10 minute squat test. Mm -hmm. Is that a basic thing that humans should be able to do? And whether that's the relevant one or not, this interesting question about like, what should a human being with knees and, you know, a torso and all the rest of these things be able to um, achieve as, as a baseline, like just as a human, like just walking around, what should you be able to do? And then like those further things that you mentioned, like what could one work towards or what should one work towards to like hit that, you know, upper level of what a human should be able to achieve, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't have anything to add on it. Just maybe the uh, uh, two points that the, you know, what's the main source of objectivity? Um, I think it becomes challenging. I'm not saying it is not a way to get there, but it becomes challenging when we use things like clinical experience or coaching, because we got to remember that over the past, let's call it 30 years, um, I, I wouldn't use the current existence of what fitness is to determine what we should be doing <laughs> for fitness. So it's, but I know, I know why it's there. And then for that, uh, yeah, the, the standard of, of that, remember the, the two times body weight, just as an example is, you know, you get there from a culmination, right? I, I just shortened the story, but it's a culmination of all the work on patterns and all the work on motor control and all the work on experiencing resistance to get to this, like, you know, what, I, what we should call exactly to, to good question on your behalf. Um, cause I call it the, the peak potential, right? Cause we're talking about what is the, what is the peak potential of a human experience? And I think it is that physically, you know, invariantly it is that, um, now, you know, 
is it something slightly next to it? Yeah, maybe, but at least I'm going to put a stab on like, right. that's it. So, it, you know, it's up to you now to determine how I'm wrong on that. Right. Um, uh, well, actually it is not the case, but you know, but so, so it gets colored, but then you also made me think, yeah, it's a good question because, you know, if you put it into these areas of life, like I do in CCP, but it may help our listeners of growth versus peak versus resist, right? Those are, those are three massive difference differences in this, right. For, for the, for the conversation, which is a good point you raised. Like, you know, I don't expect 12 year old to do that. And so this is that like knock down the whole house of cards for everyone based upon that. No, because I'm, I'm I'm just talking about the the generalized human peak potential objective measurement, right? And, and that story sometimes can take 50 years, right? So I guess it should be better said to work towards that. And I guess that's where you know uh, standards, you know that that the six year old would understand. It's like, geez, I don't know, you know, but. Uh, but if that's what I'm saying, by even saying it though, Robbie, like just imagine this utopic fitness concept in 30 years, where there's these people, you know, um, you know, where where the nine-year-old does say that, right? It's like really cool, you know. I can't wait to be able to to uh, be able to do two times body weight deadlift and run for two hours, right? You know, I know that that can sound crazy to you or a number of other people. To me, that's, that seems extremely legacy invoking, inspiring to me, right? That a nine-year-old can, can look at that and it's got nothing to do with medals in fucking soccer or NCAA Division I scholarship to, to impress their parents or, you know, how well they did a backflip to show off their friends on social. Like, it's got nothing to do with that, right? It's this, like, it's this well-accepted, objective human potential measurement right? That, uh, that sure, they may go above it, they may be below it, but at least, you know, we spoke about it and we brought up the concept of something that people were actually capable of performing. And I think anything less than that doesn't make it all for naught, but it really, like, it just allows, you know, what I've used in short order form, a shit ton of mediocrity. That's what it allows is like, you're just fucking playing around with things, <laughs> you know, sorry to sound... Yeah. like a dick on that last point but that's the way i see it that's my perspective yeah. yeah i mean a couple of things that that made me think of you know it it you know assuming a nine-year-old at some point would say that it, it instead of being a social media thing like it collects it connects you to your evolutionary history your physiological lineage like what you should be able to do as a human and i know i said earlier like you know the on the 2x deadlift and on the two-hour running like when I honed in on the two X and the two hour, like we said, Oh, that just didn't come out of nowhere. That came out of statistical dis distributions and you know, what, what a human should be able to do. I think that's also probably the same thing for the actual movements themselves, deadlift and running. Mm -hmm. It's not, you know, it's not just any random movements we're talking about. We're, you know, we're talking, it's not bench press 1.5 X. It's not back squat, uh, 2.5 X. It's not, you know, kayak or bike, um, a certain amount. And it's not that those couldn't be things that have been added onto by culture. Yeah. Uh, but when we're talking about evolutionary history, standards of what humans have done, hinging, picking up things, running, um, that's what it's uh, connected to. And then the second thing I thought of uh, that I thought you made a good point on is those standards of objectivity. 
when I think about those in terms of, um, usually I'm thinking about them in the in connection with like nutrition or functional health, but they definitely apply to fitness too. I think of them almost as like a, a triangle that, that kind of push and pull on each other. So it's not mm-hmm. that any one dominates the other. Yeah, the truths of evolutionary biology could be contravened by sufficiently robust evidence from randomized controlled trials, assuming it's you know done the right way. Yeah. Or you know clinical experience, you know, uh, from evolutionary fact, we didn't eat legumes until relatively recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, scientific fact, legumes contain lectins and FODMAPs and other certain things that can, in certain people, cause digestive issues. Clinical fact, there are lots of people who do great with legumes and feel mm-hmm. great. Do you, you know what I mean? So like. Yeah triangulating all these different things together yeah yeah and that's the (laughs) that's the project that's the tough project is to try to basically uh organize that that's effective for the person right and when we when we back way up and try to generalize it um it does become it does become difficult so yeah i you know reiteration of your points are uh are great um i also thought about it as i just finished reading super intelligence um, which, uh, by Nick Bostrom, which by, you know, I'm, I'm, I shouldn't make it as a recommendation for those who, uh, who don't want to like, just stare at the wall for a couple of hours after every time you finish reading. <laughs> like if, if, if you're not good with that, then I wouldn't suggest it. Like maybe you need more time. Right. But, uh, cause the, the stuff that comes up there anyways, the reason why that was important to your conversation is that um, you know, we, and, and talk anytime, anytime we talk about, cause I put that kind of conversation of super intelligence and intelligence, future AI, general AI, et cetera. I put it into the conversation of faith and hope. Like it's the, it's the future, right? It's, it's like your future self, what your, what your future does entail and how this pertains, this conversation is that I, I love the aspect of these physical objective measures because what is to come, i.e. what I believe is like whatever we're going to call it, we can call it meta today, but just like MySpace or whatever was changed up or the Facebook to Facebook, et cetera, you know, in the future, you know, we're definitely going to come back to this subject roaringly like a really, really front and center, because there will actually be a lot more argument on what is objectively measured as a two times body weight deadlift. I know even to make mention that our brains can't understand what that means, but what happens when there's, you know, simulation environments or, uh, or emulations, biological emulation of humans with intelligence, like there's, you know, it's, it, it creates, creates a whole lot more I think something that I know making mention of it today for two minutes may mean shit, but over time, we're going to talk about it more often to this, to this topic. And that's why I like, I love the rawness of seeing those metal weights, hearing them, right. And seeing that bar bend, right. When someone who's 200 pounds move 400 pounds, right. Like I, I, that's, (laughs) that's real. Like it, it, and that, that was 400 pounds. That's an objective measure right we strip that off i fucking go over to france same person he picks it up he's like yep felt the same way it did when i was you know like so there's something great about as i make mention of this like growth and intelligence and growth and artificial intelligence it's something that i think will come back 
that I believe is, uh, I'm just sensing we're really going to have to, to hang strong on, which is why I, I pumped that, pumped that thing really hard of working with a person in person and being local and like, and having those visceral things because it attaches us to the objective measures, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, man. These, the stuff you're saying keeps making me think of these new, yeah, this has been super interesting. So like, um, I, you just saying that just made me think of objectivity as friction, you know, as like, yes. and you know, with, with, with these, simu- with words. these, with these simulated worlds, you can kind of remove friction yeah which you know that's that's part of the allure of it right like oh yep. the friction like oh i can't no fly yeah I, you know and now i get to fly in the uh in the uh, uh roblox world or the matrix or whatever it's going to be which you know that's part of the cool aspect too but um objectivity being friction and reality and challenge um you know, this is how scientific truths are hammered out is that they constantly they're thrown up against the wall. You throw a hypothesis up against the wall and it's like, well, did that stick? Yes or no. And there's, there's friction there. And, you know, same thing in, in fitness where, you know, did this work or did it not? And I, I see what you're saying about how in these simulated worlds, you're, you're removing a lot of friction and then sounds cool, but then where's reality? Yeah. That's the fitness and philosophy right there. <laughs> Did we just say that Descartes said, I think, therefore I am. And now we're saying I lift, therefore I am. Is that what we're we saying? did. There's our t-shirt. There's a t-shirt. We got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think, uh, I think partaking on, yeah. So back to the, well, what's your, what's your uh, thoughts on how, some fitness coaches could get scrambled in that pathway that I took around getting to these objective measures and objective standards. Any, um, any, uh, opportunities here as a retort that you could, you could be a representative for those coaches, um, that would say, well, what if, or how about this or like counter examples and things like that to that? Yeah. Or yeah. Yeah. Maybe, uh, just to, just to spend another, Another second here to make sure it's uh I, I I was under not only if I was understood but that the concept was. I mean, I, I guess a coach would come along and say, "Well, what about you know these um, cultural things that we've come up with, whether it be you know strict pull up on a bar or you know being able to uh, what what's what's the metric that Brandon and Carl and I were discussing the other day, isn't it something like you should be able to bike in 10 minutes? Um, so before you even get to it, I'm sure it's something that Carl can do that I can't. I'm sure that's where, how it came up. <laughs> I think it actually might've been from your bike course. It was, it was something like, oh, damn it. Okay. You, you should be able to, <laughs> James is like, damn it, I said this. Um, <laughs> oh, a certain times uh, power output. On the you, should be able to get the, you should be able to get the total calories of your weights. Yeah. In a 10 minute bike test. Yeah. Some, something like that. So, um, you know, I guess a coach could come along and ask, well, so obviously at the, like the nature evolutionary biology, human physiological history level, two X deadlift and two X running, um, or two hours running, uh, and then just maybe wondering like, where do these other standards that we've come up with fit in? Are they just kind of, are they like the strict muscle up where it's, Hey, it's this weird made up thing that we're like, Oh, cool. You could do it. Or do they have any connection to human physiology? Do they have any importance in us running them? Are they just superfluous? Like, where do they even fit in? 
Yeah, yeah. There's definitely lots of interesting conversation. I would say to the periphery, uh, that's of importance uh, to some of what seemingly looks like party tricks. But there is some, there is some physiology inside that. But to answer the generalized question for those who have all those issues or concerns, you know, good concerns, is um, I would say to use the term transcend and include. Uh, it's back to what I said earlier that all of those particular things, no matter what we come up with as particular standards, are all just little tiny beacons along the way to get people to what I believe would be this peak objective measurable you know, potential for humans. So the you know, body weight cows, bike test, I'd say that is inside of the pathway, you know, the pathway to, you know, it's like these little things you use along the way. And at the current time, 2022, selling a bike course, you know, selling a concept of aerobic progression, that's where it lands, right? That's where it lands. Um, if we did an entire like five episode podcast, which we won't on, uh, you know, getting to that, um, I'd probably just throw in the towel and say, I just fuck it, remove the whole bike course. Let's just talk about running for two hours. You know, I'd, it's a, you know, it would be higher order for me anyways, to, to talk about that. Um, so yeah, I would say just uh, think about the concept of transcending and including it, you know, so put all that stuff inside of it up to this point of uh, the deadlift, you know, because in, in, in what I would ask then even further more than that is to go a little further for coaches and to take that notion, because this is what I thought about a lot. And I just, I still contemplate it a lot is that, so what happens when you arise there, uh, arrive there, and also what do you think you're going to be capable of doing physically by being able to arrive there? You know, and then when you go down that road and you think about, just imagine if like thousands upon thousands upon thousands of individuals just day in, day out could perform these things. I think then all the things that we want to come up with as like these transcendent include, you know, questions of like, well, can they do that? Can they do that? Can they do that? I would say by those people getting to those beacons, they're going to chop off a huge thing, huge amount of things on those lists that what they're capable of doing, you know, so, uh, you know, squatting, maybe squatting for 10 minutes, sitting down, you know, uh, you know, I, I will go over and over as to how just by using those two really simple beacons that are objectively measured, all the shit and all the stories and everything that's underneath that to get to that point in time, that's repeatable and that people can keep as consistent operations. I would say, you know, without even mentioning it, but you know where I'm going. I mean, it's like, you want to talk about, you know, weight loss or weight maintenance. It's not even in the, it's not even in the conversation anymore. You know what I'm saying? So anyways, you saw your strict muscle up. Well, if you can do two times body weight and run for two hours, you have no problem with relative physical strength. There could be a technical glitch, you know what I'm saying? So it's, yeah. Yeah. So that's where I was, that's where I go with all the transcendent include things up to that point and why we come up with all those. And I, listen, I, I love that. I, I still love that conversation, right? Structural balance conversation, um, um, fitness monitoring exercises. I, I love that, you know, because it gives people these little, little beacons along the way. And I guess going back to our, I mean, it made me think of it when you were saying it, going back to our like web conversation, could you maybe think of, you know, the periphery of the web is like party tricks, like double unders and pegboards and what have you. And then like, as we get closer in, like, oh, like, 
you know, a bike 10 minute where you can get closer to your body weight. That's closer to a two, yeah. two hour run, but it's not quite there. And then in the center, we have the deadlift and the two hour yeah. run. Yeah. 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 Cause what that, that's great, Robbie, uh, pulling those together for me. Um, and I'm honored that you would use the web approach to uh, pull those things together for physical expression. Um, but uh, for, for keep, to keep growing people's minds too, you know, it, we can get lost in the deadlift because we just think about the deadlift, right? And we're just like, you know, some people can bring up old shitty stories of how Ripito yelled them or something. You know? <laughs> like, the deadlift will always be, <laughs> the deadlift are like, bro, you know? <laughs> But it speaks to our point. Like we get you get to pull values out of it when you talk. So what I mean by that for the deadlift, just think of it as is um, um it's a real tough contraction, right? Where I consider it like a a really challenging uh and I'm using the word core with a capital C. It's it's a real severe core movement. Um, you know, back to my point of taking a shit when you're super constipated, you know. Um, so see it as that just to kind of open up people's brains to what that means is maximal expression, right? It's just how I, the way I said it is just how that's how it's, that's how it's expressed or manifests. It comes out as that, right? Something that we currently, cause I can't, I can't give everyone a rock Robbie. That's two times body weight. Right. So <laughs> although it's I sent, rock. Did I sent you a picture of those. I I was on my so, hike. I oh, I shouldn't, I didn't. I, I went on a hike a while ago, uh, walking, um, in the desert that would behind the hills behind my home and come upon this massive rock pile that I didn't see before that I was like, holy shit, there's like, you know, micro weights here from like five pounds up to like 400, you know, of these stones anyways. I, I, I now I think, so I, I think, yeah. Cause I think the caption oh. was so many different, uh, resistance opportunities. I think you did. Yeah. Something. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, and then for the other one, you know, same thing, which is even more harrowing for people, right? When you bring up the word running is actually even more like bad shit in people's brains uh, besides the Ripito. So think of Ripito on steroids, metaversion, you know, that's the same things that they come up with when, when you mention running for two hours. Um, so just think of it as like, you know, challenging aerobic activity that's sustainable, you know, steady state aerobic activity that's sustainable. And that'll allow you to, you know, to kind of at least uh lean into those two two ideas but i'm yeah. thankful you brought it up today uh just to i had a hard time initially thinking how it was going to tie into the objectivity but that was appreciated yeah no problem and i mean i i think um you know going back to those two standards that we've discussed quite a bit here and in other episodes like i think that really is truly an example of like where objectivity can fit in and like how a coach can get purchase on the idea, both with relation to the movement itself and with relation to the standard of two X body weight or two hours running. Like if someone came to you and said the peak of human physical condition is to be able to win the open, win the open. Uh, that's one way, or, you know, I guess related, uh, to do 10 strict muscle ups and, uh, I don't know, 500 double unders, right. Like we can actually, we have purchase on, it's not just James saying the subjective thing over here and this person saying the subjective thing over here. We have objective purchase on, from an evolutionary biological perspective, humans engaged in hinging, lifting up activities and running activities. And with regard to, um, you know, the two X and the two hour, like 
utilization of substrate, the ability of the muscles to contract at a certain rate. Like this isn't just like random made up stuff that we're yeah, yeah. 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 So that's, that's really where the objectivity comes in. And then you could, you, you know, you could still have conversations to refine that and say, well, it should be this or it should be that. But like, we have purchase, we have friction. It's not just subjectivity throwing itself into the void. Like it will be. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well explained. Thank you. So I guess just to uh, wrap it all up here, we talked about what objectivity is. Uh, it's value that can come in different degrees. Um, basically, it's helping us abstract from particularity of time, place, religion, culture, language. Uh, we're trying to get at things like invariance, meaning like... That's the big winner for me today. Is it? Yeah, those two words, particularity and uh, invariance. That that really uh, hit the home run for me. Good, I'm glad. And those are, yeah, I mean, if people are interested in those, like um, a good place to look for more resources on that is um, obviously the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy on yeah. uh, invariance, but um, symmetries in physics and, you know, time invariance. And like this, this is a very prominent concept of physics of like what things, what things withstand um, different changes and still, you know, are there standing the test of time. Um, so then we brought it into the fitness realm and nutrition realm, talked about different standards for nutrition, like nutrient density and blood sugar balance, and then connected it to these um, different evolutionary uh, standards or objectives you could talk about with, you know, deadlifting two times body weight or running two hours and saying, there are objective facts of the matter that lead us more towards that than 10 strict muscle ups and 500 double unders in relation to who we are as human beings. Yes. Yeah. Um, we, I, the, for those who can't see your, uh, wonderful printout prior to, uh, our conversation, um, the final topics there, um, I would like to, I don't know if it's going to be within the same similar topic or if we're going to couple it with, you know, being able to be fit into, um, another area, but, um, I'm highly interested in that particular topic. Um, uh, very personal on number of levels as a policymaker and as a, as a, uh, professional and as a parent, um, that, uh, it's, a uh, it's really important for, for us to discuss. I'd love to see how this particular topic can sit inside that. I think you had some ideas to kind of, for us to rumble in there, but I think that's a really important one too. So maybe. Yeah. I, I, I would love to discuss that. And yeah, for people listening, basically it's, you know, we, we had a question about how the coach relates to the client in terms of objectivity, but even the more broader societal one that I, I think is, would be super interesting to discuss is how does this notion of objectivity play a role in what sort of fitness policy and education we put into place. Uh, and we've, we've talked about this a little bit before with like, um, with Liberty, if you are yeah. going to make laws that say what other people should do or what kids should do, mm -hmm. it can't just be subjectivity in the void. There yeah. has to be objectivity there. So yeah. sort of fitness policy and education, I think this would be super interesting to discuss. Yeah. And, and that's going to be a good struggle for me. Um, just to, just to go into a tiny bit as to how that's going to be challenging is that I talk a big game around, you know, removing objective measurement inside of the young person's physical expression pathway. 
So it's, it's going to be tough to kind of wrap our heads around, well, how do you put that in place to, you know, well, what are they doing? It's basically, what are they doing in class? You know, they're just, they're just moving. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> well, this is my program, right? It's called OPEX. You don't know about it. <laughs> you know, so there's, yeah, I, I, uh, Anyways, I'll come with uh, I'll come with guns a blazing for the subject subjectivity in terms of youth physical expression that might get us there that that uh, I can be challenged on for how do we create objectivity around that? Yeah, yeah, and that very well. I mean, that, I think that's a great idea actually for like maybe that'll just be the central focus of the subjectivity thing because we've talked about okay. a lot of other objective stuff and we can talk about subjectivity and then how it relates to okay. education. So I like that a lot. Yeah. Okay. Super. Um, can we also just as a reminder, maybe pull into it or would it fall place in that? Um, some of the challenges in like, uh, you know, uh, our classification of sport and, and, uh, you know, uh, what is aesthetic and what is, what is a great performance, i.e., you know, you either snatched 300 pounds or you didn't, but you're the national champion for figure skating, but what did you do? You know, what I'm saying, well, there was eight judges that weren't from France, <laughs> you know, so, you know, so maybe we can pull that in as well, where it gets in kind of the sport environment, it gets kind of, because I'm dealing with that for IF3 and our future goals for youth competition, right, we will have some subjective measurements. And just some of the things that we get, the, the kind of the, you know, challenging things we get inside of that. Is there something in there? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think, okay. I mean, that's, that's a good web conversation too, of like, I can imagine just plotting out sports or just physical endeavors on a scale from like you either lifted or you didn't to like, Oh, how did you maneuver the horse as you're, you know, you know what yeah. I mean? Like all these yeah. different like, subjective things that like don't have any purchase in like the real world. Yeah. It, yeah. It's hard to characterize. I characterize exactly, but I know exactly what you're saying. Okay. Super, yeah. super. Well, we'll, uh, we'll jam on it when we get there. Perfect. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks so much, James.